Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. This came out of the blue to me. Every time I went by this particular verse, my heart was moved. And sort of strangely so. And I had a sense that I wasn't done there. I feel today to go back to chapter 7 and to bring out something that um, the Lord put on my heart. This word came with a great sense of compassion from the Lord. Um, It is not a sermon for everyone in the room. I often, I, I don't, I, I usually try to have things that are effective for everyone. Uh, this may not apply to you. But today the Lord said, there are people who really need to hear this. And with this comes his great concern and love for you. He knows who you are. And I just, Every time I'd back away from this thing, thinking, no, I don't even know what I'm, I don't know what I'm, how to do this. He would just, go ahead, go ahead. I need to say this, go ahead. And so, I, I say that because that's exactly the way this came. And uh, you'll see what we're going to talk about uh, in a moment. Heavenly Father, we ask for you now to have your way. This is your desire You have people that you love and you long to free and heal. And I ask right now for that grace on all of us, open ears, open eyes. I ask for the grace upon me that I might speak, Lord, so that I do not hinder what you want to do, but I allow it to come through with its power. Come, Holy Spirit, we all need you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll start by reading the text. It's Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. Just prior to this, the 144,000 were sealed uh, to protect them, uh, given what was coming up. And then it says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Saying, and why don't you join me, let's just say, read this out loud. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen, of course, meaning we are in full, complete, heartfelt agreement. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God 
and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. And they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life and will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's not unusual to hear a sermon on the danger of loving the world. But today, we'll address the danger of hating the world. Because surprising as it may seem, there is a large number of believers who feel that way. When some of us read descriptions of the glories of heaven, like the one in our text today, we not only feel comforted that this hope is waiting for us at the end of our lives, but we deeply wish we could be there right now. We've lost the joy of living and have fallen to a place where we have effectively withdrawn from life and are merely waiting to go home. Sickened by the evil in the world, tired of wrestling with the emotions and temptations that stir unwanted in our flesh, amazed at the devil's unrelenting resistance to everything good, we feel more and more like strangers in a foreign land or travelers in a terminal waiting for an outgoing plane. Something is dying inside us. As, God, as John shows us this scene of Jesus personally comforting martyrs from the tribulation, we can almost feel ourselves, for ourselves the joy, comfort, and peace those weary souls must be feeling. Never again will they have to be satisfied with passing moments of his presence. They'll never hunger or thirst again. Never will they suffer the blazing heat or freezing cold of this earth again. And best of all, Jesus will personally wipe every tear from their eyes. It's a beautiful scene. And someday we'll be there, but not yet. Our days are not over. And he wants us to live the days we have left boldly and joyfully. Here are some insights that may help us do that. I want to go back and just look at some of the text and get a little overview of that section. Verse 9. You've got this multitude of people like an ocean. You can't count them. They're just, 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 just a sea of people. And they're dressed in white and they're waving palm branches. What does that remind you of? A palm Sunday. And, and I have no question in my mind, it's meant to. Of all the Gospels, the other Gospels do not, other, other Gospel writers do not mention palm branches, but John does in his Gospel. He's the one that mentions that it was palm branches that they held. And, so, and here, he's seeing these, this mass of people waving palm branches. You know, on the, on the first Palm Sunday, Jesus rode in, it, it, was, it, was, it was the Sunday before he was crucified, it was actually the day, uh, if you do the math, that Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks, if you take it all the way down, it comes to April, 30, uh, April 6th, 32 AD, Palm Sunday. That's the very day God prophesied that his Messiah would come. So on that day, Jesus is going to ride in triumphantly as the Messiah to his city, Jerusalem. But it You'd, you'd think if you're going to ride in triumphantly, you'd want a horse, at least. You know, a, a white horse would be nice for effect. 
Uh, you'd want a sword somewhere and you'd want to look good. I mean, you're going to ride in triumphantly. But Jesus deliberately has his disciples bring him not only a donkey, but a young little donkey. Now, I'm telling you, folks, there is no way that you look triumphant and powerful riding in on a donkey. <laughs> little clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop. It's just, it's humiliating. And so you just... He's, I mean, and they're waving palm branches and he's riding in. Now, it's actually meant to have that effect. He, he's drawing it out of Zacharias said, Behold, your, your Messiah comes to you humble and seated on a donkey, even the foal of a donkey. Notice your Messiah comes to you humble. There is this, there's this whole theme through the Old Testament that a lot of, a lot of people didn't, didn't see, but that the pro, the, it was constantly prophesied that there would be a humble Messiah who would die for them, who would suffer for them. And so they want him to come in on a horse. They want him to come in with a sword. They want him to rise up an army. And he comes in on this humble little donkey saying, I'm not fulfilling your vision. I'm coming in according to the prophecies of God. I've come to die. I've come humbly at this point to wash the feet of my people. Later, I ride the horse. Now, here John sees. I mean, what, what excuse me. What, what did that mass of people? They began to, to, to wave the palm branches and shout out, Hosanna, which means save now. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And began to sing out these psalms of the Messiah coming into his triumph. And so they're singing all these things. And by Friday, they'll be crying out, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Imagine that. Give us this vile murderer in place of Jesus Christ. Come down off that cross if you're the son of God. That kind of mockery and humiliation. God has seen to it there's another Palm Sunday, as it were, in heaven. And this time they get it right. And the multitude of people who have died for their Lord, dressed in white, are waving these palm branches. And what do they say? Salvation to our God. Same as Hosanna. They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Only they're crying out, Hosanna to the lamb. They got it now. They got it. He's the lamb who has, now, who has died for them and now is coming in triumph. They're dressed in white. What does that signify? Yeah, their sins are forgiven them. They're washed in the blood of the lamb. Hallelujah. They have, on, in verse 15, it says they are before the throne of God. That means they are, they have uninterrupted access to the presence of God. There is nothing separating them. They are now in his presence. And it says they serve him day and night. In other words, there's no break in it. There's not momentary uh, in his presence and out of it. But they are 24-7, as it were, in the presence of God and his temple, and, and of course he is the temple. This is just symbolic language. And he sits upon, who sits upon the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. The tabernacle was the tent in the wilderness, but it was really not the tent. That wasn't the point of it. It was the Shekinah glory, was the tabernacle. And so what you have a picture of is that glory of God covering them like a tent. They are just covered over by, by the presence, the manifest presence of God. Verse 16 they hunger no more, thirst no more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. Physical hardship is gone entirely. Now, now imagine what these have gone through. This group is not just believers, is it? 
It is a specific group of believers. It is those who have been martyred in the tribulation. Now remember, it is an unnumberable sea of people. What does that tell you? It tells you the extent of the violent religious persecution. Chapter 19, I'll show it to you when we get there, but the reference is that many of them were beheaded. Exactly why that is the choice of, 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 of execution, I don't know. But many of these were beheaded. And it tells you this also, how many people will come to Jesus Christ even in that horrible moment. With all the, the things we've already seen take place, the earthquakes and the things, people, there are people who've been teetering on the brink and they turn to God. And in apparently, who knows, millions to billions, huge number of people turn to God and are willing to have their head cut off to belong to Jesus Christ. Quite the time it tells us a lot about what goes on in those years. This is the first three and a half years we're in. All right, then you see verse 17. It says, The Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life. He will personally refresh them. And it's, the, the water of life is, is eternal life. So it, the picture is this wounded lamb. Think what they've been through. They've been abused. They've been, they've been not allowed to buy and sell. So they're hungry. Uh, they have... They've been subjected to the elements. You can sense that in this language. It is, it is prophetic language, the heat and the sun thing. But I think it's being very specifically applied here. I think they have been subjected to the elements. These people have suffered. And here they are now, and you see Jesus like a shepherd take them. Now picture this. You've got a, you've got a sea of people, and one at a time, Jesus wipes the tears from their eyes. Isn't that touching? I mean, it's so precious. He loves them, each one. He takes with the, the, the water of life and he refreshes them and then wipes the tears. In other words, comforts the pain that they've been suffering. When I read that, there's something that just sort of wells up in my heart. There's lots of pictures of heaven that'll come. We're not done yet by any means. But the intimacy of that and the tenderness of that really touches a chord inside of me. And it makes me want to be there. There's something inside me gets tired of this world. It's tired of the sin and tired of the suffering and wants to just go home. And so part of, the, part of this message, I think, comes out of my own heart, just looking at these kinds of things and thinking, I wish I could be there. The, the message of the passage is clear. You may suffer and even die for your faith, especially in the last days, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You may go through a horrific time on this side of, the, of, 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 of death, but when you step over, this is what's waiting for you. That's the picture. This is what happens to those who are faithful. The world may hate you, but he's waiting to dry the tears from your eyes. When we see how beautiful it will be in heaven, it's natural for us to envy those who are there and even wish we were there already. One does not have to live in the midst of violent persecution to grow weary of this world and long to escape to heaven. I've told this story many times, but I'm just going to take the heart of it because it, it is my, it's, it's an event in my life and it really captures something that happened in my life. I had decades of severe depression. 
Um, I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't take medicine. I coped with it simply by sleeping and praying in tongues a lot. And when I was really in a bad state, having Mary lay hands on me and pray for me. And that combined with worship um, kept me going. But I was suffering inside. It was, I was, it was um, in Tempe, Arizona. I was 43 years old. And I was lying on the bed in this condition, very severely depressed. The blinds were closed. The door was closed. Kids knew, don't bother daddy. And the Lord spoke to me. I didn't hear it audibly, but it was very, very real. He broke in on my consciousness and he said this. He said, son, you don't want to live anymore, do you? That's what he said. And I said, no, sir, I don't. And I didn't. If I could have pushed a button and been out of here, I'd have trumped it in a moment. And it wasn't that I didn't love my family. It was none of that. It wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus. It's that I was so tired of hurting. And I hurt so bad for so long. I just wanted it to be over. And I wanted to go home. And then he said this. He said, You know, it's a pity to waste a perfectly good human. It's like, you got 50,000 miles on this and the tires are still good. <laughs> you know? Kick. And he said, then he said what was quite enlightening. It wasn't complimentary, but it was enlightening. He said, since you aren't enjoying living for yourself. Now, now think of this. I'm planting a church. In, in, it's 115 degrees outside. I've been working my guts out, you know, six days a week uh, at least. And then preaching on the 7th. Uh, to rebuild an old church, so we, you know, on and on. And on. You could say, "What do you mean, living with myself? How much can I do for you?" But you know what he was pointing to? He's pointing to the motives of my heart. It's not what you do; it's why you do it. And he says, "You're ambitious and fearful," is what the point was. He didn't say that. He didn't have to. He said, "You're gripping. You're still white knuckling the steering wheel. You're in control, Stephen, because you're a, you, you want to take this thing somewhere." And you haven't, you're not living for me right now. We're living for you. And he said, since you're not enjoying living for you, why don't you just give me what's left of your life and I'll do with it as I please. I mean, you don't want it. It was really quite a bargain. He said, just, come on, you're not enjoying it. Well, I'll use it. And I, the picture was, I'll, I'll be a coin in his pocket to spend any way he wants. When I talk about this sadness, this desire to go home, this aching heart, it's in a believer. I was a believer. I loved the Lord. But I still was miserable inside and wanted to go home. I had lost the joy of living. People, that was why I did. But everybody doesn't lose it for the same reason. I just want to go through some things. Because I believe today that some of you have that condition in your heart. And I believe that because I believe the, the Holy Spirit told me that. I didn't even want to go here with this thing. But he said, no, I've got some hearts I must touch. So maybe I'll hit one of your reasons. Some people begin to lose the love of life and the joy of life because they feel left behind. They are people often whose spouse or family members have passed away. Something happens when, when someone close to us dies. We almost think in our head, I, need, I should die too. I mean, it's dying time. I have more than once had to practically grab someone by the shoulders and shake them and look them in the eye and say, I know you're 
your wife, your husband died. But it's not your time. Something will happen in people where they think, well, she's gone. What's the point of me living? And they just begin to die. And so help me, when you, if you decide to die, you can die. It's scary. And you can watch within six months, the spouse is gone. They just basically turned, turned off the lights, shut the windows, and said, I'm going home. And they just gave up their, their longing to live and closed it all down. I think that could happen when a spouse, I mean, when a, when a child dies or, or a close family dies. Something just breaks inside and we say, I don't want to live anymore. I just want to go home. So there's wounded hearts that think it's, it's just time to go home. There are people who are oppressed, people who struggle with relentless spiritual harassment. You know, don't you ever wonder if the devil has something better to do with his time? I mean, what is wrong with him? It's like he needs a hobby. Of course, maybe we are his hobby. But it's, it's like he just doesn't give up. He just keeps hammering away, hammering away, hammering away. The temptations and the, weir- the things, the assault. And you're sort of wrestling with this. And after there's t- you can get to a point where you're just tired. You're tired of the fight. You're tired of the wrestling. You're tired of the darkness. There are those who, as they get older, physically in age, see themselves as old with their good days in the past. I am simply now old, and I'm no longer of value. Now, what's funny is people decide that at all sorts of ages. I'm serious. I talked to somebody 30 years old the other day, and they said, oh, I'm old. I'm almost a third of a century. And she wasn't kidding. I'm looking at her like, I'm surprised they let you drive. I've seen people 25 years of age say, I'm a quarter of a century, I'm getting old. And they mean it. It's ridiculous. So this old thing is in the brain. And I've seen people who are really physically very old, but they don't seem to know it. Have you? This old business is a mindset. And they see themselves as old, and what happens is you begin to coast to the end. Well, I guess my best days are behind me. I've sort of spent all I have, and will just try to not make trouble till I die. There are those who've been injured, physically or ill, and believe they are no longer useful. I'm not strong anymore. I can't do what I used to do. Or I'm, or I'm injured, and I can't do much, I guess. There are people who are disappointed with life. They had such dreams that burned in their hearts, but those dreams have been shattered. They've died, and they feel like all they can do now is just survive. You know, you can come to a place where it's, this is, we're not talking suicide. When the Lord spoke to me, he said, you don't want to live anymore. I wasn't suicidal. Suicide is actually an, sort of an immature stage of this thing. 
Any of us who've really dealt with this, you know, suicide is what you do early on when you're still wrestling with the whole thing. Most of us come to a place where we say, look, I can't kill myself. I got, I got family or I'm just plain scared. Or, who knows, maybe when you kill yourself you go to hell. Maybe you do. I'm not telling you. And you don't, you aren't suicidal. You simply have given up the joy of life. And your heart continues beating. You keep eating and sleeping and going through the routine. But you're just clocking time. Something has died. But it's not a matter at this point necessarily at all of suicide. Though some can be suicidal. Some people have been abandoned. People who have been, and I, and I chose this word deliberately, discarded by others. That's what it feels like. Tossed to the side of the road like a piece of junk and fear they'll be rejected again. How can I ever love again? How can I ever enter into relationship again? If this person who knew me so well threw me away like that, who would ever want me? And so they pull in and basically start dying inside. There are people who are regretful. They believe that they have ruined their lives. They have made mistakes that have ruined their lives. I mean, I, listen, they'll look back and they'll, they'll be often very angry at themselves, just furious, a bitter anger at themselves. I was so stupid. I can't believe I made those choices. What a fool I was. The, the picture is, but I've ruined my life. I am just spoiled goods. There are those who are bitter at others. They blame others for ruining their lives. I was victimized. I was abused. I was fired. I was cheated. I was lied to. I was raped. I had, I was, I, these things were done to me and I'm ruined. And the anger and the fury rises up. But the, but the mentality is I haven't got a future. Nothing is waiting for me. I'm spoiled. Believers can be trapped in these kinds of attitudes and find themselves merely enduring life as they wait for the end. I want to show you an example now. We're going to begin to turn and say, how does, how does the Lord want us to think? But Jesus is our best example. Let's look at him in, Ma in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and I'll, I'll start there at verse 2. The Lord is <clears throat> in northern Israel, right up at the north border of it. Um, Mount Hermon uh, is a little bit in, in Israel, now in Leb, part in Lebanon. It's 93, 400 feet high. It's actually got snow on it, uh, and patches and all, all year round often, and he takes his disciples up there. He takes Peter, James, and John. It says, six days later, verse 2, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. 
So they're there praying and and he begins to change in the very nature of his body. What he's doing is becoming resurrected. He's, his, because there's no sin in him, his, his righteousness and his holiness, he is simply passing death and going right on into the next state. So he begins to radiate light. He's shining like, like a brilliant white light. Kabi, his beard, his hair, all of him, he begins to just radiate with this new thing as, as, he, as he's being translated into the next state. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. So the prophet and the lawgiver were talking to Jesus. And Peter, now every gospel apologizes for Peter's comments here one way or another. It's interesting. Listen, to Mark will do it too. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. In other words, three tents. We'll go down and get sticks and branches and make a place for us and we'll camp here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Can't you imagine, you know, here's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking and Elijah looks over and goes, who is that guy? Do you let him travel with you a lot? It's all right. It's all right. I'll, I'll explain later. <laughs> look, look what Mark says. Here's Mark's apology for him is verse 6. He says, for he didn't know what to answer. For he, they'd become terrified. Peter was so scared he said such stupid stuff. We're sorry. <laughs> and then a cloud formed overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud. And this, so this will be that, that, that cloud of the glory of God. This isn't just a cloud. This, this is that glorious, radiant, silver kind of light. Uh, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And then the next verse, as they were coming down the mountain. Jesus is, has an opportunity at this point to go right to heaven. To skip the cross. To skip all that's ahead of him. And to simply step right into heaven. The very thing many of us would love to do. And yet, what he, as he talks with Elijah and Moses, of course what they're doing is reminding him. I don't, they don't have to convince him. But God's just sent them to minister to him. They're reminding him of why he must die. And what he will accomplish in the cross. And then it says that, Mark will later say, he set his face to Jerusalem. And he walks down the mountain, and who remembers what's waiting for him at the bottom of the mountain? There's a crowd, they're arguing, and there's a, a father with his uh, demon-possessed son, angry at the disciples who can't help him, and this confusion and this trouble. Have you ever had gone to a retreat or had a, a wonderful prayer time and then somehow you step back into the world and it's like, oh, why did I come back? Amen. The ugliness of the world is waiting for you. Come on, we live in a, in a difficult place. And it's getting more difficult as the year, time goes on and we're surrounded by stuff. And this isn't just kind of locally, it's worldwide. The suffering and the sadness, and, the, and the, it's in various patches and things, but it's, it's worldwide. We're living in difficult times, and something in us wants to just 
go right on up into the presence of God and skip the whole process of living here and being in Jerusalem. Would you notice Jesus? He set his face. Why did he set his face to Jerusalem? He knew what would happen there. It was for you. He came back down off the mountain for you. And you say, well, for lots of people, hey, he's going to dry your tears. He knows your name. Yeah, it was for you. I'll not take the easy way out. I'll suffer so they can be with me. If we are going to live boldly in life, if we're going to somehow stop this thing of, 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 of withdrawing and wanting to go to heaven right away, number one, I think we need to forget the past and move on. Now that is so cliched right now in American culture. But Paul says it this way. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I strive to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of in Christ Jesus. So the picture is, I am not going to just focus on my past failures because he had some horrific ones, frankly. He had done some horrible things and he never did quite get beyond it. I mean, it, it hurt him the rest of his life. But he says, I'm going to forget that junk and I'm going to focus on that for which I was laid hold of. I'm going to strive to lay hold of it. I'm going to aggressively Focus on what God has for me. Folks, there's nothing you can do about the past. You can't change a thing. If what people did to you in the past has ruined your... You, it's, it's bad enough that they did that to you in the past. What's horrible is that, they would, that you would somehow... They would be able to ruin your whole life. See, somewhere you've got to put a stop to it and say, No more! What you did ends here. Or you have no life. They've ruined your whole life. You say, I was raised badly. This was done to me. This was taught to me. This was Okay, at some point, you've got to put it in the past and let, put it under the blood and say, from now on now, the Spirit's going to lead me and I've got a future. And that's how come we, old things have passed away and all things become new because now I'm following an entirely different set of rules. I'm following the Spirit. You've got to put the past and close the door on it. One of the sad things is we've got this culture where you think you can go back and just ruminate on your past and sort of untie the knots and think it through and figure out why and whatever thing happened. I'm going to tell you something. You can figure out why you're weird. <laughs> but you can't change it. You're still weird. I'm serious. There's, you don't fix it, you just, and actually what it tends to do is it tends to breed depression. Because, well, I could have been a wonderful person, but this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, but I'm, now I'm ruined, so now I just have to slog through my future being ruined goods. That's what comes of that. I'll tell you, enough of that ruminating, and, you, and people want to commit suicide. There's a place where you have to address some things. I know that. But there's a place where you stop it and you move forward. Forget what lies behind and strive to lay hold of, Christ, of, of the things Christ has for us. We need to live one day at a time. Some of us tend to live down the road. Our eyes always focused on a future event. Well, when I get married, I'll really be happy. When I, when I, when I graduate from school, I'm really going to take off. 
when I, when, I, when I get that promotion and finally get some money, then I'll really I'll serve God and I'll, I'll do all. We're always waiting for something to happen. And what we do in the process is overlook today. We almost sleepwalk through today, looking way down the road to the moment when something cool is going to happen or we're going to start living. I did that for so long. At one point, I, I, I mean, I'd spent a, probably half my life looking down the road all the time, and the Lord said, did you notice about half is gone and you haven't engaged it yet? He said, you keep this up and there's uh, not going to be much left to look for. Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has cares enough of its own. He says, focus on today. We've got to somehow stop living for the future. That doesn't mean you aren't going to school or have plans or understand those kinds of things. But it means that the focus of my mind begins to be that this day is a gift. And I'm to live in this day fully. I'm to engage this day. I'm to believe that God has a plan for this day. And it is lived like that that life can really take on meaning. Today, Lord, what's your purpose? Today, what's your plan? Today, I would live for you. We need to earnestly desire spiritual fruit. The reason Jesus came down off the mountain was for spiritual fruit. What is spiritual fruit? People. Ultimately, our treasure in heaven is people. What goes to heaven? People do. Money doesn't. Things don't. Titles don't. All the things of the world... They don't go to heaven. The only thing that lasts that you do is what you do with allowing the love of God to come through you to people. Everything else is forgotten. If you get a hold of that, we say, this is about people, isn't it? I, mean, I, don't have to, it isn't, I don't just have to go out and sort of win a soul today, but if I let the love of God pour through me, if I just go through this day with him, and touch people. That's what counts. One of my um, was family member by marriage in, in that my daughter's husband's grandmother, but I consider her my family. Irene was, um, she is so funny. I met her many years ago. She was the Bible lady at the, book, at the Foothills Bible Bookstore in La Mesa, California when I was working at the Presbyterian Church there. And I knew her then. And then many decades later, she's married, her grandson's marrying my daughter. And we, I meet her, and I said, I know you. She says, I know you. There was this moment, and I said, did you ever, I did, you know. Anyway, she's been the Bible, book lady, Bible lady up at Evangel Bible Bookstore until she, until she passed away. And... She was leading people to Christ on her deathbed. I'm, I'm serious. She had the, all these pictures and stuff. You know, she always makes everything pretty and made her room pretty at this, even in the care center. And she had this nice cross on the wall. And people, nurses and staff and anybody who happened to stroll by, she would walk in and say, do you see my cross? Isn't it beautiful? Do you know Jesus? And she led people to the Lord. When we had her, 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 her memorial service, there was a whole bunch of staff from, the, from, the, from the, the care center just sobbing their hearts out. 
because this woman who had showed them the love of God so powerfully had passed on. It's like their grandmother had died. We had that with one of our sisters here the other day in a, in a memorial service. Same thing. I'm telling you, some people get the picture that it's about people and they just take every opportunity. You know, it doesn't matter. My own opinion of myself, my own, as I look at my future, I have, I'm, I'm not going to retire. That's one of my points coming up, by the way. There is no retirement. Say this after me. Here we work. There we rest. Got it? Retirement is when you die. When you kick the bucket, you're out. It's not 65. It's not when I want to finally get that motor home and go play pinochle in Arizona. It's... And I don't care if you want to be a snowbird or whatever. I, you know, this winter, we wouldn't, couldn't blame you. But, but at least when you, go to, when you go to Arizona, you start sharing Christ with your pinochle partners. Okay? I lived in Arizona. I know snowbirds. And, and I don't know how to play pinochle. All right. I believe, number four, we ought to stay healthy. Now, this may sound very unspiritual, but I'm serious. I think you ought to treat your body like you're an athlete. I think you ought to want to live as long as you can. And that doesn't, diet, exercise, sleep, rest, nutrition. I'm not asking you to fixate and become some specimen, but simply to take care of yourself and, and keep your health. Because, frankly, some people quietly neglect themselves as a form of suicide. Aren't we? Just deliberately neglecting that body, kind of hoping the sucker's going to die. <laughs> we need to embrace the pain. We, quit judging yourself harshly for being sad or tired or overwhelmed. Frankly, life deals out blows and things happen and there's times when you get kicked and it hurts or you're exhausted and your emotions kind of crash. That's part of life. I was telling this to a group of pastors just this past week. I was, pastors on Monday generally are blue. They, they get grumpy and they all want to quit. And they get prophetic. They've spent all this energy preaching and ministering and pouring their hearts out. And then on Monday, their bodies and everything, just, oh, they're, just, they're just like mud. The guys on the healing teams here on Thursday, Friday is their day. They just feel like they got kicked by a horse, you know, and they're just kind of just straggling because when you give out like that, there's an exhaustion that comes to it, isn't there? But often people say, well, I'm a Christian, so I can't feel bad. I can't be sad. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. <laughs> and, 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 and so you feel guilty for feeling weary. And I said, on Monday, go somewhere with a good padded chair where you won't hurt yourself and don't make any decisions. Don't do anything. It'll be wrong. Just drink something warm and let God heal you. Embrace that weariness and let him restore you and you come out the other side. I think we need to realize there's pain in this life and just... Learn to regularly find refreshment and peace in God. We need to pray consistently. It always, it transforms our thinking. I mean, really, if we would just have that in our days, it, it, it change, turns the world right side up in our thinking over and over again. We learn to walk by faith. This is really part of it. Some people, some Christians have learned to never walk in faith. They've found that God can't make them do things. 
and they're chicken. And so they never tithe, they never go on mission, they never share their faith, they never, they never step out and do anything scary. And you know what you'd produce? you produce? You park yourself in a cul-de-sac. You are so safe, it's deadly. Have you noticed the people who go out on missions, the sparkle in their eye and how obnoxious they are? <laughs> There's an almost offensive quality, isn't there? They're just sparkling with all this and you're going... Okay, calm down. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why they have that. They've been out on the edge where if God didn't show up, they could be dead even. They needed God to provide for them, protect them, guide them. I mean, they're even in trouble where, where moment by moment they're just hanging on and praying, Oh, Jesus, help me now. And he does. When you get out in that faith zone, he show, and you're in, you're in obedience, he does show up. And the, and the provision did come in. And the answer was there. And the angel did protect you from the accident. And on and on and on. And you come home and you go, he's real! <laughs> and that's where that sparkle and all that comes from. They're living in faith. Yes. To live the abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. To get that, you've got to walk out in that place of that abundant zone of faith. If you live just a safe, insulated, padded life, you will not experience this. <laughs> Refuse to live alone. I'll just say it, but I'm almost, I mean it. Refuse to live alone. Be part of a community of believers. You may have been wounded. You may have been hurt. I can't promise you that we won't. But, but you must have people in your life. If you get alone, you're dying. Don't be picky. Use whatever opportunities you have to serve. Just decide to live for Jesus right to the end. Die in the saddle. Plan to serve him till you drop. Be grateful for every day you've been given to live. Now, this is the last. I'm going to close with this, but I want you to see the verse with your own eyes. Psalm 139. I know you know it. But this is so important to this message. Psalm 139, verse 16. David is talking about how God has made us and knows us. And here in verse 16, one, Psalm 139, he says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Referring to the fact of the fertilized egg, probably, in his mother's womb. And then he says, And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Did you hear what he said? The number of days that you're to live has been ordained by God before you are even in your mother's womb. You have a set number of days. And when I begin to decide I want to die and I don't want to live the days anymore, it's fundamentally a rebellion against God's plan for my life. Because see, finally, it isn't about even my fulfillment. I didn't spend this time today saying, here's how to get fulfilled. I do think we find abundance and joy in this. But the point is, here's how, to be, here's how you serve the Lord and you find the fulfillment you find is in knowing you're living as God is a danger to live. When I've, when I've said to people, I've looked them in the eye and said, I know your spouse died, but it's not your time. God has given you more days. And you must live them and live them well. 
You must live them boldly. You have a time to grieve, but you will come out of that and you will serve him again until the last breath in your body. I want to close with this. It is a uh, prophecy that the Lord gave to one of the women in our church and, and she shared this with me. And I've had it for a while, but I think it's so applicable right here. Just listen to the Lord uh, speaking to us. Resist the idea that your life is winding down and you are running out of time. That is fear-based and will rob you of the joy you need to live life fully with me. Your times are in my hands. And I know the plans I have for you. You will have as much time as you need to live the full life I have planned for you. Don't cut it short by worrying about running out of time. You are at the beginning of your bloom, not the end. Trust me, don't count time as men count time. Expect to continue growing and bearing fruit until you wake up in my presence. There's no end to the blooming season in the eternal realm. Life is much more than a young body. Don't grieve through the aging process. Expect more and more life and brighter and brighter light. Live your life by faith, not by sight. We are growing closer and more alike as the years pass. Age will not rob you of me. You are mine, and I will never leave you alone. I would like to um, have us bow our heads if we could. Let's bow our heads for a minute. This is a, uh, it, it was not an easy subject that I brought up. And as I said going in, I know there's somebody here. If I, I don't know if I said it right. But I know what God wants to say to you. And he's saying to you, I've ordained your days. Your lives and times are in my hand. And they're there for a reason. I've planned your life for a reason. And it's for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Don't waste your life. Don't decide to die. Don't. Don't close the windows and shut the door and live inside in the dark. Come out. Come out and live again. And somebody today needs to say, Yes, Lord, I hear you. And I come out. And I will engage life again. And I'll walk in faith. And I'll live it, I'll live it boldly. And I will be spent like a coin in your pocket and use every day I have to bring people to you and whatever that means, whatever loving thing I can do, whatever prayerful thing I can do, however I might be an avenue for you, I am yours and available the rest of my life. Who needs to raise your hand and say, that's me today. I was dying inside, but I choose life. I choose life. Go on, raise your hand and hold it up. I choose life. Yeah, I was surprised. Every service I've had, I thought I might have two or three people, and every service I've had many. And that's, that's just the Lord knew that. Hold your hand up. Oh, Father God, for each heart, we pray right now for you, for the Lord's Spirit to come and heal your heart. Whatever wounds have been there, whatever abuse has been there, whatever dis disappointments or, or failure has been there, whatever's gone on in your life, 
We pray for his Holy Spirit now to come and heal you. Be healed in the name of the Lord. May his power come over you and free you from those wounds. Wherever the enemy has come in with, with depressive thoughts and angry thoughts and bitter thoughts and self-hatred, where that kind of demonic communication has been there, we break its power off of you. May the Spirit of the Lord be your covering and your protection, your counselor. May the blood of Christ be over you, your mighty covenant. Oh, Jesus, thank you for defense and, and, and safety. Cover this mind. Cover these thoughts. New thoughts. New hope. A future. Faith and boldness in this heart. In the name of Jesus, boldness to live again. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. And then, Lord, we just confess over these that which is not as though it were because of you, because your faithfulness, not because they have the strength, they are only saying yes with their will. But it's your strength that will bring this to pass. Thank you for healing. Thank you for delivering. Thank you for a future. Thank you for fresh joy of living. A passion to live. Faith to live. Boldness to live. And we say to you this moment, we thank you for every day, every breath you have given us. Every breath you have granted for these lungs, we thank you for it. We are glad to be alive. We are glad to be your son or daughter. We are glad for every day we have been given. For here, we can affect the lives of others. And then someday, we'll step across. And you'll lead us to the waters of life and dry every tear from our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. You will never leave us nor forsake us. In your precious name we declare it. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.